Broadcasting live from an undisclosed location in the western foothills, you're listening to Open Ears, Maine. We want to hear your pandemic stories. To call in, dial area code 515-602-9747. That's 515-602-9747. The phone lines are now open. have vegetables, lots of them, on your table next winter. You can have your own fresh vegetables on your table this summer if you have your own Victory Garden. Yes, there's no restriction on home canning and home processing of vegetables and garden fruits and berries. Plan your Victory Garden now. Get your garden plot lined up. Get the advice of a garden expert if you need it. And be prepared to grow your own for Victory. Join a garden club or community garden movement or share a garden with your neighbor. You can help win the battle of food production. You can help our fighting men get the food they need. You can help save the vital metals used in commercial canning if you grow your own victory garden in 1943. For further information, write to Victory Gardens, Washington, D.C. Victory Gardens, Washington, D.C. What have you got there, son? Chips. Have one. Pass the potatoes, please, Dan. They seem pretty fond of potatoes here, too. And here. But who doesn't like the humble spud? Most of us like potatoes with our dinner, just as most of us like uh, sugar with our tea. One lump or two, Mrs. B. Now, both potatoes and sugar beet have to be grown and harvested. So if you want to make sure of chips with your fish and sugar with your tea, help the farmers by spending a week or more, if you can, at a volunteer agricultural camp in September or October. You're paid a shilling an hour for your work, and board and lodging cost 28 shillings a week. It's a country holiday with pay. Farmers and farm workers have worked hard to grow these crops, so let's back them up and help with the harvesting. Your head post office will tell you where to apply for full details about volunteer agricultural camps. Hey, hey, not you, Sonny. Campers must be 17 or over, but children living in the country can help the farmer from their homes. Hello there. We're going to try this again. Welcome to Open Ears, Maine. My name is Crash Berry, and I'm your host this evening. Every Tuesday and Thursday from 5, I'm sorry, from 7 until 8 p.m. We're just having a couple of technical difficulties there because 
We're brand new platform at Open Ears Maine and just trying to work out the issues right now. Phone lines are open 515-602-9747. That's the number to call. Um, I started an introduction earlier that you may not have heard, so I'm just going to repeat this. Sorry if this is old news by now, but today, uh, April 14th, 2020, uh, Governor Janet Mills um, extended a civil state of emergency for the state of Maine for another 30 days. Uh, That's extending the civil emergency until May 15th. And that is uh, big news because that gets into the next part of our tourist season here in Maine, and yet there's a bigger problem. So far, 76,000 Mainers have filed for unemployment benefits, and it's overworked the system uh, in Augusta. And uh, we will be talking very shortly uh, to a Mainer named Neil Skillen, who was laid off from his warehouse job uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we'll hear what happened and what happened when he filed for unemployment. That's uh, Neil. He'll be on in a couple of minutes here to talk about what's been happening since his COVID-19 layoff. We'll also be speaking to my friend Nathan Bernard. He's the political reporter for Mainer, uh, the magazine that I'm editor at large for, Mainer in print monthly and available at MainerNews.com. Nathan wrote a story this week about what Susan Collins is doing to help small businesses down east and theoretically to help her constituents. We'll see what the status of that is. And we'll also be checking in all the way down east later to Mount Desert Island to speak with Becky Pritchard. She's an author and reporter um, for uh, the newspaper on Mount Desert Island, and we'll talk about how COVID-19 is affecting the island community that's very dependent on cruise ships and tourists and foreign workers who, who labor behind the scenes on uh, for Maine's tourism industry, especially down east, uh, especially on Mount Desert Island. So that's what's on for this first show tonight. Uh, I've brought on multiple guests because wasn't yet sure about the phone calls and how that was going to work out. And I didn't want to spend the rest of the show ranting and raving about the horrors of modernity and uh, late stage disaster capitalism. Uh, So before we get to our interview with Neil to discuss his unemployment experience, I just wanted to comment a little bit more on what's being deemed essential versus non-essential and it's very revealing obviously the usual heroes the nurses and emts doctors uh, medical workers in general are uh, obviously very essential but it's the unseen workers that we've never really concerned ourselves with before uh, or that capitalism hasn't concerned themselves with many of whom are you know underpaid slaving away stocking shelves you know Swabbing the decks, you know, the cleaners, the, the behind-the-scenes people who really make a, a huge part of our society run, uh, the clerks at the gas stations, uh, the people that before weren't really 
considered essential to our economy are actually turning out to be the most essential ones to our economy. And they're the ones who are dealing with hazards and danger and jobs that you wouldn't normally expect that. And then meanwhile, like the, the allegedly essential ones, I mean, not maybe at least in terms of capitalism, the sports stars and entertainers, Instagram influencers, influencers, Instagram influencers that they, they just don't seem so essential anymore, at least to me. So in these times of crisis, it's important, I think, that we recognize all the, the heroes and the, the helpers that appear in our midst. So if you know of such a person, a hero or helper that's really risen to the top in this pandemic, drop me an email at crash at crashberry.com. And perhaps we can get them on the air to hear their story. And also, I'm hoping you'll be on the lookout for the scam artists, the profiteers, the con men that come out during this sort of crisis. If you see a monster like that, let me know again via crash at crashberry.com. Because after all this is over, we'll want to remember these saints and, and I guess, scumbags as well. We'll have to remember who the scumbags are. You know, today it was reported that at least 20 people in Maine have died from COVID-19 disease. So far, about 734 Mainers have been diagnosed. And according to the latest numbers, about 292 have recovered which leaves about 442 active cases of COVID-19 as of earlier today. When I talk about those numbers like that, it really feels like it's almost like sports reporting because really who, who, who the hell really knows what's going on? We're in the middle of a pandemic. We don't know anything. We really don't. We don't know anything until it's over. And we can study the data. We don't know anything but our own experiences. And that's the purpose of this show. You know, as many Mainers are declared non-essential and are under house arrest, basically. You can't go out, can't hang out. I want to hear your stories. Because, first of all, stories are how we learn about the world around us. I want to know what you've been going through. How you've been coping. Any insights maybe you've gained or life changes or you can tell me how your kids are doing or or your parents are doing how they're faring through this really crazy time so emailing crash at crashberry.com or call phone lines are open area code 515 And we'll be back in a moment after this message to talk to a man who was laid off and then collected and filed for unemployment with the state of Maine, Neil Skillen.
you can have vegetables, lots of them, on your table next winter, you can have your own fresh vegetables on your table this summer if you have your own Victory Garden. Yes, there's no restriction on home canning and home processing of vegetables and garden fruits and berries. Plan your Victory Garden now. Get your garden plot lined up. Get the advice of a garden expert if you need it. And be prepared to grow your own for victory. Join a garden club or community garden movement. Or share a garden with your neighbor. You can help win the battle of food production. You can help our fighting men get the food they need. You can help save the vital metals used in commercial canning if you grow your own victory garden in 1943. For further information, write to Victory Gardens, Washington, D.C. Victory. Welcome back to Open Ears, Maine. Call-in radio show. Dial area code 515-602-9747. And joining us now via the internet is Neil Skillen. Hello, Neil. Hey, Chris. How are you? Good. How are you doing, man? Uh, um, uh, better today than I was a couple days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, thanks for taking the time uh, to talk to us again tonight. Uh, just so the listeners know, uh, you recently, until March 25th, were employed full-time, actually uh, two jobs, or a job and a half at least, uh, full-time in a warehouse position in southern Maine, and then also working for Rennie's, the Maine-owned chain of stores across the state. And... Um, as I understand it, you've been thinking about COVID-19 and possible layoffs long before March 25th when you were actually laid off. Can you tell me why you were thinking about that? Well, uh, my my uh, younger brother or baby brother works uh, until recently on Broadway. He was um, on Frozen, and uh, he's been talking about his uh, fear of what was coming for a long time because he could see the in, the inevitability of this coming. So um, he he started talking about it. He started preparing for it, and he um, he got he, he certainly got me thinking about it. Uh, so <laughs> I uh, I've been thinking about it for a while. Yeah. So Broadway obviously is shut down for a while. How is your brother doing? Uh, was he impacted at all besides losing his job, obviously? Uh, yeah, he was actually had direct exposure. Um, oh. His his uh, boss tested positive, and he was uh, he was obviously a vector for everyone that he came in contact with. Um, uh, it, it's been a really uh, crazy experience, like watching it unfold in front of me. It's almost like a, a zombie movie. <laughs> <laughs> zombie. Yeah, I can see that zombie movie. So uh, just to understand what happened here. So you, uh, because of the economy, you were actually working a job down in southern Maine. You're, you live in Madison. You're near uh, Skowhegan in Somerset County. Uh, Correct. And But for the past several months, because of this job, uh, you were down in southern Maine, and you were staying with your parents, correct? Yes, I was working uh, uh, in southern Maine 
doing a job that I loved with people that I loved. Um, but because of the distance from my, my own home, I was staying with my parents um, Monday through Thursday evenings. And, uh, and that was, that was scary. Uh, as we got closer to, to the, the layoff for sure. Cause your parents are, I imagine uh, you're, you're 40, 42. So your parents are probably much older. I imagine. Uh, how are they doing right now? My parents are great. Um, they're practicing social distancing. They're, uh, doing everything they can to stay healthy. Um, uh, it, it's it's interesting uh, that my brothers and I are now the parents for my parents <laughs> because we're the ones that are telling them what to do, <laughs> um, and we're forcing them to change their behavior so they can stay healthy. Interesting. It's like the uh, millennials are going to be teaching the boomers uh, how to live in this <laughs> what, what we're calling a, a new normal. I'm not sure I understand what the new normal is going to be yet, but. Uh, I'm obviously anxiously awaiting to see what that is. So your job, you worked in a warehouse, you're doing kind of like order fulfillment, fulfillment stuff, shipping stuff. You're working with mm-hmm. other people. Uh, March 25th comes. Tell me what happens. Your boss comes to work. What happened that day? Well, she, uh, she walked into the warehouse and I could just see it on her face. Um, uh, I could see that something was different. Um, and she she came in and put her stuff down and looked thoroughly dejected. Like uh, she just looked broken. And she said, I, I have to talk to you guys and said, um, I think for the safety of you and your families, I need to shut down. I don't think we can keep doing this. Um, I don't want to be the, the reason that your family gets sick. And this is, a reality now. Um, I can't, I can't ignore it anymore. What was business booming at that point still? Was she still doing a lot of shipping and stuff? Oh, we were and busy. So? Um, we had already started to notice the impact of, um, Amazon specifically, like, um, we didn't have the ability to ship to them anymore for fulfilled by Amazon. Uh, so we had, we had, a we had a little bit of a crimp, on that side, but the, the eBay side was great. Um, we, uh, we were busy. There's plenty of work for us to do. Um, and she knew that she could keep paying us. Uh, but she was also, uh, also didn't want to be the reason that we got sick. Well, actually that's very refreshing if you think about it. I mean, the problem with you know disaster capitalism is that those bosses will just work you till the end, not caring. I'm so she was obviously concerned about your family and the families of your co- colleagues there, and you know so there's a uh, a little bit of social distancing you could do, but it's still pretty tough, I imagine, in a warehouse environment to get it to the point where you could be completely safe. So she weighed the risks out and you know, laid everyone else. Does that mean it's the end of her business? Do you think is it, you know, or how do we even know? Right. I mean, I mean, there's, there's no way to know what's going to happen. Um, I, I can't speak for her. Uh, she's also a, a, a close friend that I've known for years. So I, I can't speak for her and what she's thinking, but I can say that uh, the, the choice that she made was uh, for 
the the health and safety of the employees and their families. Um, she that that was her biggest concern. Um, you know, she's 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 got a couple of business ventures and she's um, kind of playing the lottery like everyone else is right now and how it's all going to shake out. But this was well, um, and also. Also, it's like, it's, is it really an essential job to be fulfilling these packages, risking your family? I mean, especially with you sp- spending all that time with your parents who are probably at risk. I mean, it's it's a dollars and cents decision versus health. And I, I guess, I, you know, it's kind of, like I said, it's refreshing to see that. So after you got laid off, I imagine, was that emotional for everybody there? I mean, you guys knew it was coming, but still, was it emotional? It was really emotional. Uh, I mean, we had been all talking very um, open and honestly about our fears around um, COVID. And uh, we were able to to process that sort of on a daily basis together. We were practicing social distancing in the warehouse. We were uh, using sanitizer. We were using Lysol. We were cleaning everything constantly we made sure that any instrument that uh was being utilized was only used by one person and if somebody else used it we sanitized uh we we had already put those practices into place um but when uh when when it came down to it we were just um we were ready (laughs) we were all grateful i think uh would be the best way to describe it uh grateful that this was happening because we all felt like we were part of the problem and not part of the solution because we were all traveling um, from different towns. We were all traveling, you know, I, I live over a hundred miles from the warehouse. So the fact that I was going through multiple communities started, I, I, I had guilt over that. So, Right. As we saw uh, in the news last week, a traveling salesman has been blamed or credited for uh, many of the cases. And uh, as you said, you live 100 miles away, the vectors, you know, the disease vector, you're stopping to get gas or whatever. Who knows how if you have been exposed, how how many people you could have uh, infected. So that uh, the when you. Uh, we're laid off. This is the point of our conversation. Actually, we're going to talk about the <laughs> unemployment compensation system. Here's the yeah. statistic: since March 15th, 76,000 Mainers, at least, at least 76,000 Mainers, have filed unemployment claims. And you know, obviously, that's more than it's a multiple more of uh, how many people have applied in the whole previous year. And mm-hmm. uh, I understand uh, for you that it was a it was a painful situation at that point. I imagine, first of all, I mean, to be blunt here, as most Mainers are, you're one paycheck away from major problems, correct? You have a mortgage, yeah. bills. Yeah, I had a mortgage. I got bills. I got a puppy to take care of. Um, I've got um, a home and, and a community that I love. And so that one, that one moment in time, though, I knew it was the right thing to do, and all of all of us agreed uh, on that. Uh, we, I, I also stepped into the unknown because I didn't know how I was going to be able to take care of my family and my mortgage and my community, and uh, that that was that was 
shocking and terrifying. Yeah, the terrifying, you know, homelessness in times of pandemic, uh, you know, for those Mainers and other humans already homeless, it's tough enough. And then for you, for someone to be laid off and lose their house, you know, very, very, very stressful situation, obviously. So you get home on, you're laid off on March 25th. The next day, I imagine, or that night or that next day, you filed uh, initially what, let's just talk through the process. What do you do first? You fill out something online. Is that correct? Yes. So, uh, um, my layoff was on a Wednesday. So on Thursday morning, I got up just like it was my job and filed for unemployment. Um, and the process online was, was fairly simple. Um, I had, uh, you just create a, um, uh, an account on the reemployme.com website, um, that you can find right from the main.gov website. Um, a separate portal but you go online you fill out your application you are as honest as you can possibly be because if you're not honest they're going to figure it out (laughs) um and uh and work through the system work through the process um it was it was actually fairly simple uh on the web portal so that was that was awesome um i had no no problems or complaints there um, but, uh, as you know, the, the, the other side of that was if you're not automatically approved, um, or if there's a hiccup with your claim that it, it can get complicated. And that's what happened to you. Uh, and, and good news though, uh, uh, is that the starting this next Monday, um, uh, they're extending the call in hours for filing claims. They're putting more workers on. So apparently the numbers are, you know, they're ramping up. I imagine there's some training that has to be done. But as you point mm-hmm. out, there was an unknown hiccup in your uh, filing because, like many Mainers, you have a couple jobs. Exactly, yes. Um, the hiccup was that my, um, I, I think the state calls it renumerative pay, or that's how it's referred to. Um, my part-time job, Rennie's, uh, is continuing to pay us through this, um, process. So I'm not technically laid off from Rennie's. I'm still getting paid for the the one shift a week that I um, normally worked. And that has been um, a huge blessing and I'm so grateful for it. Um, I have to say Rennie's is a family and uh, the way that they treat their employees has been um, super transparent and uh, amazing. Um, uh I'm not one to cry over capitalism or businesses, but right now I could cry about the way they treat their employees because it is truly, truly special. Well, that's amazing. That's great. I'm glad you're pointing that out. So just to be clear, you're saying that Rennie's is paying all their employees part-time or full-time until what, the end of April. Is that, is that when, or yep, indefinitely? The, I can't, okay. The, the last communication was through April 30th. Um, they've been an, incredible. Um, right, main owned company. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they, when they, within the within the corporate culture at Rennie's, because it is a a a fairly large small business here in Maine, um, they talk about the Rennie's family, and <laughs> I've worked for many companies before that that use the word family, and it, it it's not the same. 
That's <laughs> what what I'm feeling here. Is that it really is like everybody's important. It's not like the Bath Ironworks family where they still have teams down in these halls working in very unsafe conditions, especially with the there's been many reported cases, let's say at Bath Ironworks. So that's very refreshing to hear about Rennie's, but that also kind of what raised a, a red flag for the state because uh, you, you uh, checked the wrong box or, or didn't acknowledge, oh, you didn't acknowledge that you had that income coming in or didn't know. I, uh, well, uh, I, I acknowledged it, but on the wrong box, that was what it came down to. <laughs> oh, um, the I, wrong put box. The, I, I put it in the comments field because I was, uh, I had a misunderstanding about when the pay was coming. Um, and so I said, this is what I've been told is happening, but I don't know when it is. And it ended up being that they paid us, um, the next week. So it was literally just a reporting error on my part, but that um, held up my claim for two weeks because I had to wait until I spoke to a person so they could clear my uh, clear my claim. And it's, it's some it. sort of uh, government, uh, you know, the boondoggle of large government. And you check the wrong box, or you have put it something in the comments section, and if it doesn't fit the formatics of the software, then then you, actually you're the one end up. Screwed, right? Because you, didn't you, uh, uh, your other colleagues at the warehouse, they didn't have problems like that, I imagine, because they didn't have, or if they had a second job, it didn't in, impact it the same way because of the of the way you notated it, so to speak. Correct. Well, uh, yeah, it was. It's literally checking the the, the right box um, for <laughs> anybody that's facing this that has um, uh, that had multiple jobs and you might have the opportunity to be getting paid by one of them. Uh, it's box number five. Box on number your, five. Box number five on your unemployment claim. You have to note that uh, it, it, the question asks, did you work or perform any services during the week? And even if um, you didn't work, but you're getting paid, you need to select yes so that you can mm-hmm. tell them that yes, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm getting some money somewhere. Um, because the way that the remunerative renum- pay is uh, paid out, um, I'm not a lawyer or, uh, or an accountant or a payroll specialist, so <laughs> I can't speak uh, to, to, to the finer points, but I, uh, it's box number five. You need to select there. Um, so you can report that remunerative pay, and that is um, going to make your your claim process much easier. Yes, I imagine. Uh, so tell me what kind of hell you must have entered uh, to get that box problem box uh, straightened out. What, what did you have to do? <laughs> uh, I the I woke up every morning and uh, starting at seven fifty nine, I started calling the main department of labor. Um, there was one day I made, uh, 244 phone calls, uh, between 8 AM and 1215 before the phone line shut down and still hadn't gotten through. Uh, you will, you may hold sign. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. So there's only a limited window anyways, every day of how my, uh, you know, there's only four hours in the day. I think it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It depends on what is your last name. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. There's a way that yeah. they've kind of sorted it down. So then on one day, 
you got up just before they, I mean, you got to work on the phone. 244 phone calls in four hours. Uh, what were you feeling with that? I mean, <laughs> um, uh, a huge amount of frustration, anxiety. Um, it, it, every, every emotion you can imagine was compounding upon itself during that time. Like, uh, um, but I, I just, I kept with it with determination. I had to keep hitting that button and fix it because I knew it was the only way to fix it. Um, so what would happen I'm, when you call and you'd be disconnected or there'd be busy sign or signals or what, what would happen when you would call during that 244 times? Um, but that particular day with the 244 phone calls, um, every single phone call was either picked up by um, uh, a, a voicemail recording telling me that the, the lines were busy and to try back later or um, every like third or fourth phone call you would get through and um, get through the process of entering all of your information only be to dumped into a different uh, voicemail box that said, uh, we're too busy to take your call right now. <laughs> um, oh. So very frustrating. Um, like just when you get a glimmer of hope, but you get shut down and hop on again. But um, when I did finally get through, uh, it was it was a very simple, easy process. I spoke to a woman named Julie, and I believe uh, she was on desk 18. Uh, is what she said. Uh, she was so helpful um, because of the because she was obviously new in her role. Um, I, I believe she had just was just being trained. Uh, she needed to talk to somebody else to help fix my claim, but it was a a pretty quick process. Uh, and she was also very transparent and said, "So this is what you did wrong." with your initial claim, this is what you need to do going forward and um, made me feel so validated. Like uh, it, she really, she, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of Julie. Well, that's great to know, uh, you know, because our state workers are, you know, we love to give state workers grief, but state workers are great people. Uh, I imagine, I can't, I can't imagine, let me take that back. I can't imagine what it's like to deal with 76,000 people who are stressed out, worried about their lives and livelihoods and all that. It's got to be a very tough job for them and especially being short-staffed. But hopefully there's good news uh, uh, with this announcement that they're extending the hours. There'll be more workers. And like you said, once, the, once that uh, uh, question number five was strained out, you're out of that kind of Augustan hell. Uh, and mm, then the exactly. claim came through. So it's not to dis, I know many people, uh, you know, in other States are having issues with unemployment claims, but luckily in Maine, uh, at least, so it was what, two weeks. How long did it take for you to actually get your, uh, the first payment? It was about two weeks. Yeah. Just okay. over two weeks. Um, which is pretty amazing I, considering we're in a pandemic, but it doesn't pay the bills on your mortgage. Uh, two weeks. <laughs> it, it doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't pay the mortgage. Um, you know, I uh, as I spoke to earlier, um, I'm very community focused, and uh, one of my 
major concerns was the fact that I know my mortgage holder depends on my mortgage payment to, to pay her bills and take care of her mother. So, so you uh, have a private mortgage, right? Okay. So it's not like correct, dealing with yeah. a big bank. You're not going to screw over your neighbor who's, you know, floated you a, you know, a, a owner finance. Um, so that's, that, that's another, you know, sign of Mainer to Mainer uh, dealings there. So there's a benefit to that kind of mortgage, but also there's a lot of guilt if you're stiff in the man, it wouldn't be a big deal, but this is someone you knew. I imagine yeah. if we spoke uh, uh, two weeks ago in the midst of this, because right now you're sounding pretty laid back. Okay, Neil, I got to say, for a guy who's got, you know, a lot of time on his hands, you're probably smoking a little weed, so, you know, if, but I imagine two weeks ago you weren't as laid back. And um, at, at, no. in that moment back then in two weeks, and what, I'm, I, what I think is very valuable for the listeners here is that there may be many people in Maine, there are many people in Maine who are still working and that axe is looming just ahead that they too could find themselves uh, laid off, furloughed from their job. And uh, what kind of words of assurance could you give to them as someone who's been in that hell and now seen the other side of it? Could you t- talk me through that? Well, uh, I think the most important thing to do is to check in with your friends and loved ones. Um, you, you, you need to make sure that you're, um, conscious of your own mental health, then you're, uh, you're checking on others, uh, around you that are important to you and seeing how they're doing and feeling, uh, validation of feelings is super critical, um, in a moment like this, uh, cause you're going to have a lot of feelings. You're going to have a lot of emotions. Yeah, you're gonna have a lot of confused and wonder what you did wrong or how you could have done things differently or uh, what um, you need to check in with each other. Uh, yeah. And I yeah. that has been the most important thing for me and the most valuable thing because it is um, it's also given me a sense of purpose as well because uh, I'm not I'm not just getting up and taking a shower and turning on Netflix. I mean, I am doing that, but, but I'm also, I'm also engaging with the outside world um, in a safe way uh, and a respectful way uh, by, by saying, how are you? What's going on? And that can be as simple as a Facebook post where you ask people how they're doing, or it can be um, as significant as, picking up the phone and making a phone call to somebody you haven't talked to in a while that you're worried about. So you've been able to talk to your parents. Have you used the internet to talk to your parents or uh, phone? What's the preferred method for communicating with them? Uh, uh, My parents have learned how to use FaceTime. (laughs) Okay. That's good. Uh, So we're doing doing that very regularly. Yep. Uh, Um, I think that's as impactful for me as it is for them because it helps them connect it and, uh, gives you the opportunity to um, see the uh, another part of the world that you're you can't be a part of right now. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's been um, very helpful to 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 utilize technology in a way that I haven't before. Nice. Um, yeah. To get that keep that, that closeness with your parents in a time that and otherwise could be frightening for the both of you, uh, all of you, because of the unknown uh, and being far away from them at this point too. 
just one, one more question here. I know your husband has a job that uh, he's working in uh, for Irving, I believe. Uh, so he's an essential worker. You're not. You're staying home. What are you doing to keep busy? Are you having hobbies? And I also think, you know, in general for the listener, that those of us that don't have to go to work should be uh, maybe doing things meaningful um, instead of mm. sitting around. Well, yeah, um, one thing that uh, I did almost immediately, and it was uh, uh, almost, it goes all the way back to that first conversation I had with my brother previous thing. Think about the essentials. Think about what you need. I'm I, uh, I'm plan, planning planting a bunch of plants. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna be uh, uh, planting hundreds of tomato seeds and lots of flowers. And uh, my hope is that I'm able to give them out to people in need uh, that might need them um, in a month or so when they can plant them in their ground. Right. Great, great. Share with your neighbors, share with the community. Uh, I've been playing a public service announcement, in which I'm about to, uh, you know, Victory Gardens. You know, this is something that we can yeah. do in Maine. Uh, we're so lucky. Uh, we have great seeds companies here and things like that. Well, Neil, thank you very much. I'm glad you're doing better now. I'm sorry about the stress, but uh, thanks for the tips and to be very wary of that question number five. So Mainers that work two jobs have to be, or three jobs, or four jobs, as the case may be, have to be very aware of that. And uh, then perhaps we've saved a couple people from the hell of uh, the hundreds of phone calls you had to make. So again, thanks yeah. for your time. And uh, I hope you fare well during this pandemic. You as well, Crash. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. You too. And we'll be back in just a moment, and we're going to be talking to Nathan Bernard, a reporter with MainerNews.com, about Susan Collins and how she is doing. What have you got there, son? Chips. Have one. Pass the potatoes, please, Dan. They seem pretty fond of potatoes here, too. And here. But who doesn't like the humble spud? Most of us like potatoes with our dinner, just as most of us like uh, sugar with our tea. One lump or two, Mrs. B. Now, both potatoes and sugar beet have to be grown and harvested. So if you want to make sure of chips with your fish and sugar with your tea, help the farmers by spending a week or more, if you can, at a volunteer agricultural camp in September or October. You're paid a shilling an hour for your work, and board and lodging cost 28 shillings a week. It's a country holiday with pay. Farmers and farm workers have worked hard to grow these crops, so let's back them up and help with the harvesting. Your head post office will tell you where to apply for full details about volunteer agricultural camps. Hey, hey, not you, Sonny. Campers must be 17 or over, but children living in the country can help the farmer from their home. Welcome back to Open Ears, Maine. The phone lines are open. Dial area code 
1-800-242-9747. Right now, our plans are to broadcast on Tuesdays and Thursday nights until the state of civil emergency is declared over, whatever that means as we try to figure out what the new normal is going to be. And luckily, we have politicians to take care of this problem. Joining us now from Southern Maine is the political reporter for Mainer. You can read his work at MainerNews.com. And he also considers himself a free speech advocate, my friend Nathan Bernard. (laughs) Nathan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. Glad to be on the premiere episode. Yes, we only brought out the big guns for this one, pal. So yeah, exactly. You've been covering Senator Susan Collins for the last several months. Uh, you know, very important uh, Senate seat. Uh, one of the ones that's mm-hmm. up for grabs uh, could actually sway the fate of our nation, <laughs> changing the Definitely. makeup of the Senate, things like that. Uh, you wrote, uh, you've written a lot about her, but you recently wrote a story about a bill sponsored by Senator Collins that you described as a disaster atop a catastrophe. So mm-hmm. tell us about what, what, what is Susan Collins' response to the pandemic been? Um, well, I mean, in Maine, like her response could have been to go and get, you know, PPE and personal protective equipment and medical equipment for the hospitals. But, you know, Maine only got 5% of that. Uh, she pushed hard to get the no strings attached $500 billion slush fund for the corporations, right? Like all part of the coronavirus stimulus (laughs) package, uh, which isn't great. So, I mean, those are the things that she really pushed for. Um, But I mean, in terms of her branding, you know, the paycheck protection program, which is the small business stimulus plan within Trump's bigger $2 trillion bill is what she really pushed for. And that essentially is the federal government buying credit from these, you know, banks, local banks, who then in lieu, you know, go and loan money to the small businesses. And she co-authored that with Marco Rubio. And that was her, um, you know, that, that's been her, that's been her hallmark, I guess, response. And it has not been going great, as the article says. But um, that's been so her that focus. Was, that, that was her way of saving small business, theoretically. Um, any exactly. motive on, on why she... Uh, push that one forward despite uh, being a corporatist at heart? I mean, this is a kind of a change for her to be a small business booster, especially in recent years. Yeah, I mean, of course she is in probably her most challenging re-election campaign of her what could be, you know, 30 plus year tenure. So being a small business champion in Maine where over 99% of the businesses you know, have like 100 or fewer employees, and small businesses, which I guess by the SBA is defined as a business that is 500 or fewer, I mean, that employs something like 260,000 workers in Maine. So it's a voting block that, you know, she can go after in a very cynical way. Um, and I mean, I guess the, the easiest way for her to kind of measure success by this program, which she uh, has been doing avidly on Twitter is every day she'll come out with an update saying we've given X amount of money to this many small businesses, wherein, you know, just giving the money isn't exactly solving the problems. And, you know, there's a couple of stories that or really one in particular I could share that, you know, shows even if you do get the loans, uh, it's not all roses and potpourri. So, you know, the banks. (laughs) Yeah. What happened there? What what do you mean by that? 
Well, I who's mean, a I small guess business start, owner? Like, there is, um, you know, Rising Tide Brewery in yes. in Portland. Yes. Yeah. So I think it was Rising Tide, um, and the lady actually is a main senator as well. Yes, that she's runs a state the, senator, that yes. runs the brewery. You know what yes. I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they ended up getting a loan for two hundred thousand um, dollars, and the idea is that. If you get the loan, 75% of that money has to go towards payroll expenses, right? So only 25% can go towards paying your rent, your utilities, everything else. And you have eight weeks uh, once you get the loan to bring back your entire payroll, right? Like bring back all your workers. (laughs) So in the case of Rising Tides, they have something like 25 employees that they usually have which includes people that look after the tasting room, people actually serve drinks, people that are delivering the beers out, right? But now all they have going on is curbside pickup. So they're expected to spend that money to hire back 25 people to do curbside pickup. To, like, yeah, yeah. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. They're just getting in debt because, you know, they're scared, obviously, because there's, you know, not enough funds in the, small, in the you know, payroll protection program in the first place. So they go out and rush to get the money. Of course, they do get the money, ultimately. And now they're stuck in a situation where they say, okay, well, we don't want to spend this money over this eight weeks. We don't want this to be our eight-week period because if you don't spend that money towards the payroll and bring back your workers, the loan is no longer forgiven by the government. So basically, even the people that – yeah, exactly. So It's like the sword of Damocles hanging overhead. That money is like the sword exactly. of Damocles. You got to take it because you don't want to pass it up. But at the same time, it could be a disaster because if your business is failing, doesn't recover after COVID, then you're stuck with a huge, 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 huge government loan. All right. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about this more again, but I, I, just uh, in closing here, uh, I think her numbers, obviously her numbers, Susan Collins numbers were down before this. Uh, she was in trouble with Sarah Gideon's uh, popularity and other number and the couple other candidates are still active. Um, what about Gideon and the other candidates? Uh, any COVID related action from them? Are you, are they, are they critiquing her or? Uh, you know, honestly, I haven't seen own? too many critiques necessarily of, uh, you know, I haven't seen critiques necessarily directed even at Collins. It's more directed at the federal government and Trump, which could be in lieu of Collins ultimately, but it's really asking for the personal protective equipment, asking for more medical equipment from the government because hell Maine being the oldest state in the country, uh, you know, they're just basically saying, let them die up there and (laughs) they're not giving us much of anything, which isn't great. Um, and you know, it's, there's scarcity mindset across the board, whether it's applying for loans, right? Like you have to rush and rush to go get the small pool of money whether it's trying to get the personal protective equipment, you got to rush and hope that the government will send you some from, you know, their national stockpile or, you know, it's toilet paper, right? Like the toilet paper is off the shelves yep. everywhere. It's, yep. it's just the same yep. sort of thinking on multiple different levels. Um, but that's kind of what's happening. And that, you know, um, Collins has her lowest, uh, there was just a poll done by critical insights that was in Bangor daily news that showed that Susan Collins is at 30 cents, 37% approval rating, lowest approval rating ever, least popular uh, senator in the United States. So we'll see what happens. Uh, That's kind of the state of things now. I don't think the Democrats are um, necessarily going at her too hard over this um, stimulus plan, but they certainly could, but they're not. So we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, I mean, this is when it's like uh, in fear of uh, turning something political off and, you know, the candidate doesn't want to attack the other candidates. But as we're seeing yep. with this kind of disaster capitalism, uh, you know, only the only thing that's going to save us is something dramatic and, and, and really system changing. And, you know, these loans, uh, you know, these loans with all these conditions just uh, don't seem to be the way uh, out of this mess. But you know what? Who the hell knows the way out of this mess, man? Because exactly. it's a friggin' mess. All right. We'll be in touch again, Nathan Bernardo. Thank you very much for your time and uh, keep an eye on some calls for us, will you? Will do. Will do. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Okay. Now, hopefully, joining us via the phone line from all, almost all the way down east is Becky Pritchard. Becky, are you on the line with us? Yes. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Hello there, Becky. I haven't talked to you in a long time, but it's very no. nice to hear your voice. How are you yeah, doing out there? Oh, Everything good. Okay on Mount Desert pretty Island? quiet up here. Why do you think that yeah. is? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, yeah, I was just thinking about that because we are a tourist destination, but um, we've really been trying to keep people away this year. It's, um, it's, like a spring that I've never seen up here. Um, you know, first the park closed and, well, schools closed first, I guess, and then the park um, announced that they were closing and closing all their facilities um, to discourage people from coming up. And then the town decided to ban all vacation rentals and cruise ships are not coming um, at least until July 1st. And, um, you know, for a town that really has made its living on tourism, things are pretty well shut down right now, um, and I think, as, as I the think whole that's state a, is. But. I was about to say, that's a microcosm yeah. of the rest of the state, but I think especially with Bar Harbor, I mean, like you said, the cruise ships, an amazing number of cruise ships come in, the tourism for Acadia. Um, I was also wondering about the H-1B non-immigrant visas. Uh, many of the workers I'm familiar with down East come to work the summers from other countries because yeah, they yeah. jobs. What are what are the small business owners talking about? Are you hearing any uh, fear or uh, well, stress? What is it? Yeah, there's there is a lot of fear and stress um, just because none of the um, none of the businesses that are non-essential are able to open right now at all and they're they're not sure when when it will be um and so in the past you know the the workforce has always been the main concern and and right now i think just opening is the main concern and um from what i've heard the um the h um the the h2b visas um those that stayed over in the country, um, those people that had winter jobs will be coming back to Bar Harbor, um, okay. but those that are coming to, you know, the U.S. from out of country will not during this um, right. pandemic. Right. Obviously, they're not going to let those. You know, I'd like to check in with you again a little later in the season to see how things have developed. But we only have a couple minutes left, and I, another reason why I want to have you on is because, in addition to being a, a, a reporter. Uh, Done on MDI, you're also an author, and you have a book, uh, Jeremiah Hacker, Journalist, Anarchist, Abolitionist, 
It's about a mid 18th century journalist in Portland who's a real rabble rouser. And um, I'm curious to know uh, what you think, uh, you know, a 19th century radical would be thinking about the pandemic. Well, he'd be thinking about, um, he'd probably be, you know, out there preaching through his newspaper. Um, what was his sure newspaper? What was the newspaper's name? I love it. Please share. <laughs> the newspaper was called the Pleasure Boat. <laughs> the Pleasure Boat. Yes, that was the name of a newspaper in Portland. Okay, yep. so what 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 would so, what would his response on the Pleasure Boat have been? Um, well, he would have been, you know, out there selling the pleasure boat as usual. Um, he would have considered himself to be an essential personnel, essential service, um, but he would have probably used it exclusively to just tell people how to stay safe, how to get through the, the pandemic. Um, he was also, he was really concerned about economic justice. Um, and so he'd be, he'd be trying to find ways to, you know, make sure everyone got what they needed, food, shelter, um, with everything going on while people were keeping their distance. Um, I, I'm sure he'd be really involved in that as well. But um, the interesting thing about Hacker's time is that people were so used to this stuff happening. Um, you know, quarantining ships when they came into port wasn't a big deal. They would just put red flags on the ship and, you know, they were really aware of illnesses and stuff. So I think, um, I think something like this wouldn't be as hard for them as it is for us with modern medicine, and we're we're not used to illnesses that we really can't deal with. Well, Becky, it sounds like we need a Jeremiah Hacker for 2020. This is the end of our first broadcast of Open Ears, Maine. I'd like to thank those that joined us. And again, Thursday night, be back, and we'll be talking to a nurse about the pandemic. <laughs>